Welcome to the Sorority Nutritionist Podcast. I'm your host, registered dietitian and weight loss BFF, Lauren Hubert. Growing up as a woman, I was told that you can't care about your looks, wear whatever you want, and be successful. But honey, let me give it to you real. You can have it all. I believe women can embody strength, sexuality, and power all at the same time. And in fact, I know the harder you feel, the more successful you will be. Each week, we are changing the narrative that women can be hot and successful at the same damn time and do it in a healthy way. Welcome back to another episode of the TSN podcast. Today, we are here with the incredible Dr. Felice Gersh. Welcome to the show. Well, I'm so excited to join you here today. I am so pumped to have you. And let me tell you, we have yet to talk about menopause and or PCOS on the show. So I was like, who are we going to have on? We're going to have you, baby. Um, so I am super excited. Can you give us a little bit of your background and tell the, the listeners who you are? Sure. So I'm a bit of a rare breed. I'm an integrative gynecologist. So I blend all of the different um, approaches both natural and sometimes pharmaceutical or surgical to help women at every stage of life to optimize their health. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just getting so giddy over here because I'm like, we got to talk about PCOS. We have to talk about menopause, all these different factors and how these these aspects of the, the human body, the female body in particular. Reproductive system impact hormones and weight, and we're going to get into all that. But I'm so curious, what are some of the biggest misconceptions that you find women have about their health? Well, they really don't understand our fundamental hormones. So I come back because estrogen, which is made by the ovaries and in the form of estradiol, is critically important to every function in the body. There are receptors for estrogen on every single organ. And it's not by accident. It's so that once again, getting back to the prime directive, it's so that every organ in the body is working together to work, to have a healthy reproductive functioning female. And of course, understanding the critical role of estrogen in the form of estradiol, not some other form of estrogen that is made in a factory that isn't synonymous with the estrogen that's human and bioidentical. It's a different chemical that may actually be essentially an endocrine disruptor. So remember plastics like BPA that is in all the hard plastics, that is an endocrine disruptor for estrogen. It has other bad effects as well, but it's what they call a xenoestrogen. So it can interfere with a multitude of ways that estrogen is produced, distributed, and the receptor function, degradation, elimination. And it would be like licking plastic every day and saying, hey, I'm getting my estrogen dose. You know, that seems absurd, but you know, you, absurd. Put it, you can put it in a pill and swallow it. And then it's called a hormone and it's really an endocrine disruptor. So when you understand the foundation of life in a female is based on having proper balance of hormones and sort of at the top of the pyramid would be estradiol, that form of estrogen, but all the hormones then work together. And in fact, estrogen interacts with the other hormones like progesterone. When you have high estrogen production, it upregulates the receptors for progesterone. So the progesterone works better. The same with testosterone. When you have high estrogen, it upregulates the testosterone receptors. So the testosterone works and thyroid. So if you don't have enough estrogen, the right estrogen, your thyroid hormone won't work properly on the receptors. 
And then when you understand the critical importance of having proper hormonal balance and having always an adequate and a proper type of estrogen in the body, then you can go on to say, well, once you understand that, which most women don't, they actually think all, oh, you know, estrogen and a birth control pill is the same, like they're from their ovaries. It's like yeah. a totally, it's like, I consider it like the evil twin. It's not the same. It just, they call it estrogen, but it's actually a different molecule and it has different effects on the receptors, different interactions with the other hormones. So I think the biggest misconception that women have is about their own vital hormones and not understanding their critical importance and what they do in the body. And therefore, what it means to them when they disrupt them with hormonal contraceptives, when they disrupt them, when, well, when they don't disrupt them, when nature disrupts them, when it goes- Your choices disrupt them. Right. When you have a world where you eat out of plastic all the time and you're getting in these endocrine disruptors that are going to interfere with your normal hormone functioning. And then the inevitability of menopause, which every woman will face, it's universal that no matter how you eat, and of course we love food, but no matter how many vegetables you eat, you're still going to go through menopause, maybe a little later, but you're going to face it. And that the significance of menopause is probably the other biggest misconception that women don't understand what's really happening to them as their body transitions into menopause and what it means for virtually every organ system of the body and the best ways to go about dealing with and sort of cushioning the really heavy blow that losing these hormones creates. And then with like a condition like PCOS, which is really hormonal chaos in the female body, unfortunately, what you can do, what it really means beyond just the reproductive effects, which are well known, it's the number one cause of infertility, but all the metabolic effects, the neuropsychiatric effects, you know, the mood issues, and all of these things are really huge misconceptions. It really comes down to not understanding the importance and relevance of having the proper amounts and the proper types of hormones in the female body. It is, I have this analogy that's coming to my mind, especially for you babes out there that are like, oh my God, this is like so much amazing information. How, let's talk about synthesizing, right? And, and think about this in an easy way. I'm thinking about it like a car where it's like, you might have like an issue in your engine. And especially if you're like a city girl and you don't know what to do with it, you're just like, okay, I'll drive on it, whatever. Um, but then like you do it for a little bit longer and then these issues can get worse and worse. And one thing impacts another. And I think that's the biggest thing that you're, that you, that I'm taking from what you're saying, if I'm interpreting it correctly, is every hormone function impacts something in another way. And it's a synergistic system. You can't have one change without it impacting another aspect of our hormone functioning in female body. Absolutely. If we take, for example, you know, getting back to estrogen, mm -hmm. estrogen is critically important for regulating the function of the master clock. That's the, the group of neurons that sits atop the optic nerve in the hypothalamus of the brain and can detect light and dark. So it helps you to know how to set all the clocks in your body. So every, every organ system is working in the same time zone. It also can detect nutrients. There are nutrient sensors that also interact with this master clock. And so if you don't get the right functionality of the master clock, then you're going to go into a, a condition of developing more mood swings, irregular cycles, weight gain. You know, you're going to have all kinds of problems, insulin resistance, when you don't have proper functioning of your master clock. 
And if you don't have enough estrogen, of course, I just told you that's going to impair the function of the master clock, but you can do this in other ways, even if your ovaries are working fine, because say you go to bed at three o'clock in the morning, every other day that will impair, you know, if you, if you're on a plane flying across time zones on a regular basis, you know, if you eat at weird hours and you're eating late, late at night, all these things will also impair your master clock and your hormone function is then going to be affected. Your regular, regular cycles are going to not happen. You're going to become irregular and you are going to have dysregulation of your appetite because your appetite, when you have a healthy person is finally connected to your energy needs. That's another thing that we don't realize is that we were evolved to actually totally properly regulate our energy intake, AKA eating to match (laughs) our energy needs of the body. But in order for these systems to work properly, so we have a properly controlled appetite, we actually have to do things that are based on our circadian rhythm, which means that we eat at the same times at the right times, as well as eating the right foods, of course, and that we go to sleep at the right time and consistently. And also in like we get enough sunlight because the sun is actually like happy medicine. It, there are receptors in the eye for sunlight that goes to the master clock so that the master clock knows that it's daylight and also to the serotonin neurons in the brain to help create serotonin, which works in conjunction in the neurons with estrogen to create serotonin, which is the happy feel good neurotransmitter that people take Prozac to try to increase, you can increase it naturally by getting proper sunlight. And so many of us are locked in little closets all day, you know, even in a room with a window, the shades are drawn and so on. Literally, I will never live in a dark place again. That's just happening. Same, same, (laughs) the same. But you know, so many people live without enough sunlight. And then at night, It's just the opposite. They have too much light, ambient light in their bedroom because they have little twinkling electronics. Exactly. And the light comes in from the outdoor lights. You know, people have street lights on or, you know, traffic lights. Sometimes people light up their house all the time, like it's a Christmas tree. You know, they always have lights burning and it comes in through the windows. And so I personally sleep with a sleep mask. Other people can get, you know, um, dark types of, you know, light resistant shades and things in their room, but I don't like to wake up in the morning to a black pitch black bedroom. And so, you know, my husband uh, loves that by the way. And I've never slept that way before, before meeting him. (laughs) I know some people do, but to me, I want, I want to have sunlight in my room. And, you know, of course, when the daylight savings time, we'll get it, you know, it depends on the time of year, what happens with the morning (laughs) sun, but I sleep with a sleep mask and there are many different styles. And you know, in terms of weight loss, you cannot lose weight if you don't get adequate sleep. I mean, they've shown that in women who work the night shift, people who work all kinds of odd hours, maybe not consistently, people who travel across time zones and so on, because your appetite is dysregulated, but so is your pancreas, you know, and your liver, and you'll end up with a higher risk of developing fatty liver disease, which is really epidemic, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And when you have a dysregulated liver, it spews out sugar and fats in a dysregulated manner, And then your poor pancreas is working overtime, making too much insulin to try to control your blood sugar. And initially it will. So you can have perfectly normal blood sugars, but your insulin levels are way too high and insulin, which is essential for life. One of its functions though, is the production and storage of fat, you know? So 
we now, now understand the mechanism for how when you don't get enough sleep at night, you can't lose weight. And if even when you starve yourself, what happens is you start losing lean body mass instead of losing the fat, because your body is not really functioning well, your mitochondria are not burning fat well. So it starts breaking down your muscle mass. And that's like really terrible because it's terrible. Need, I mean, something terrible. I say all the time is weight loss is different than fat loss. You know, in my personal story yes. before becoming a dietitian. I used to starve myself to lose weight. That's what oh. I thought was normal. Cause we don't know better when we're a young woman and right. we go on the internet and Pinterest and hear all these things. But then when you realize how complex, like for me, becoming a dietitian was revolutionary just mentally for me. Cause I was like, so much goes into the human body with our hormones, with our habits. And this is, you know, everything you're saying is about how important your habits are. And when you go to sleep, how consistent you exercise, the types of foods you eat, these basic macro level things are sometimes so overlooked before we, yes, some supplements. And I do want to talk about PCOS supplements with you. And there are some things that can be really helpful, but these macro level habits have so much impact on how you metabolize fat and food and, and your weight at the end of the day. And the thing that brings us to Together. And I just want to mention that, you know, if you don't have adequate amounts of estrogen, you will have a dysbiotic gut microbiome as well. So it turns out that the trillions of microbes that live in our gut that are not freeloaders, I mean, they are, <laughs> be, they are like critical teammates, you know, and they yeah, are they're more important than like women even realize Amen to that. <laughs> yeah. So we cannot have a healthy body without a healthy gut microbiome, but not knowing their importance. Of course, we have starved them. We have poisoned them. We've ignored them in all kinds of ways. And so we've depleted them. We've reduced their diversity. And it's like a civilization. If you only have one type of worker, like even if it's an important worker, but you only have, say you only have nuclear scientists. Well, that isn't going to get you so far. It's like, excuse me, I need a plumber. You know, so you need, you know, <laughs> no so one wants that, to be a plumber, but you need the plumbers in there. Absolutely. absolutely. We need every kind of worker in a society. And you think of these trillions of bacteria and others, you know, there's like viruses, there's fungi, these are complex organizations, these yeah. microbiomes, and we need diversity. And we haven't really done that very well with our society in our lifestyle. But it turns out that estrogen is also very critical as a function in terms of helping to sustain a healthy gut microbiome. Mm -hmm. And when you don't have a good right microbiome, you don't make the proper protective mucus coating, and then you get inflammation, you get the wrong bacteria making these wrong, like nasty products that they call endotoxins or lipopolysaccharides, and they irritate the lining of the gut, the single layer of cells, the enterocytes, and then they start to move apart. They're supposed to be close together, what we call tight junctions, so that some nutrients and the immune cells from the inside of the body can put out little fingers, these little, they call them dendrites, these little types of um, immune Bring cells. Bring me back to school over here. Like little fingers that like poke through. I could like think of them as our own little human antenna to say what the heck's going on in that gut. And it delivers the information to other immune cells, which then ultimately deliver to the brain. And so you need to have an intact gut barrier or you have impaired gut barrier, which we call leaky gut. And the proper amounts of estrogen are essential for that as well. And then we know that there's a communication between the gut and the brain. So we call that the gut brain axis. And all of that, I mean, the, the, the microbes, when you have the right ones, they also ferment the right foods, like the foods that are for them are fiber foods, and they love all kinds of different fibers. And then they make these byproducts called 
short chain fatty acids, which act in multiple ways as food for the lining cells of the gut, signaling agents to the liver, signaling agents to the brain. There are actually receptors on this big finger of the brain called the vagus nerves that helps you to be happy and calm. And there are receptors on that big finger of the brain called the vagus nerve with one of the short chain fatty acids made by the microbes called butyrate. Now, it turns out that all these critical functions, your circadian rhythm regulation, your gut microbiome are related to estrogen. Well, it turns out that linking PCOS and menopause is a common theme, which is a deficiency of estrogen, the proper estrogen, the estradiol. Now, it's from a totally different mechanism. In menopause, of course, women have deficiencies of estradiol because their ovaries cease to make it. And that's pre-programmed into us by nature. And I personally don't like that decision that nature made for us, but I totally You're like, get- why did this happen? Why well, did I you used- do this to us and play us this way? <laughs> you know, I used to actually say that. I'd say, nature, why did we have to have menopause? Like, couldn't we just continue as we were? Why did you have to make it that we can't reproduce, which is okay, because at a certain point, we don't want to keep having babies. Yeah, but they didn't why realize we, that at, at first. Why, they didn't realize we didn't want to yeah, continue. <laughs> yeah, but why did you have to link it with all this other stuff? And it's be, you know, so that, you know, after menopause, the more you learn about it, it's like this organ has a problem, this organ has a problem. Well, it's because we're one body. We sink or swim as a body. And yeah. it's the perfect example of how you know, the hormones link all the organ systems. And when you stop making estrogen in your ovaries, it's not just reproduction that's no longer available. It's what we call metabolic homeostasis. It actually sort of you tend towards having more dysregulation or chronic levels of inflammation, which somebody coined called inflammaging, you know, aging with chronic inflammation. I have well, not heard that before. Oh, that is so, yeah. they never taught that at school, at least where I was at, inflammaging. Yeah. That's, like a, that's a mouthful for me. I'm going to start using that. I'm obsessed. Oh, absolutely. And it really tells you the story in one word. Aging is associated with a development of chronic inflammation. But in women, it's not just the number of years. It's not. It's about the hormones you lose. Well, it turns out that you can have this sort of we'll call it precocious aging process, which you have this chronic level of inflammation and inflammation underlies basically all of the processes that we associate with the negatives of aging, like neurodegeneration, that's neuroinflammation, inflammation in the brain or in the vessels of your, you know, your arteries that is, you know, from cardiovascular disease, you actually have inflammation in the lining the lining of the arteries become inflamed and that can lead to the development of plaque and unstable plaque. And, you know, inflammation in your bones leads to osteoporosis. A lot of people don't realize that the bones is, are actually losing their mineralization because of immune cells that become overactivated that are gobbling up the bone. And it's actually an inflammation process. And of course, in the joints, osteoarthritis, itis, it's a really not just wear and tear, it's actually, there's an inflammatory process going on. It's like a dysregulated immune system. Well, it turns out that women with PCOS have sort of an accelerated process of aging. Their bodies are chronically inflamed as well. And somebody else, also very clever, coined a term for when you're young, but you have this sort of premature inflammation that's occurring, and it's called metaflamaging. 
So it's metabolic dysregulation resulting in a low level chronic state of inflammation in the body that then leads to all of these down the line you know, problems. So women with PCOS don't make enough estrogen from their ovaries because of a little genetic defect in the enzyme function that converts testosterone into estradiol. And that in ancient times was probably a very minimal issue and maybe even a benefit because they had slightly elevated levels of testosterone, but it was actually an advantage. They were not the wallflowers. They were like the dominant women of their tribes. Like yeah. nobody was going to like put one over on them. They were going to be standing up for themselves and they were braver and bolder. And so, it and they were a little teeny bit less fertile, but not enough to be a disadvantage. It was probably an advantage again, because yeah. they had like a little built-in birth control. So instead of having nine kids, maybe they had four. And that's actually better for the survival of each child and for the woman herself. But now, because of our change in our diets, what they call, you know, the sad diet, the standard American diet. I know. I love that. I use that actually. I'm so funny, guys. Yeah. (laughs) And for women with menopause and PCOS respectively, because they are kind of two different groups of people. I'm curious, like, you know, so many women listening to this podcast are people who have gained weight and they may not realize they're either going through menopause and or going through undiagnosed PCOS or something hormonally is going on metabolically, um, for women who don't anticipate these issues, but then it comes, they get the diagnosis from their physician. They start to read up on a lot of things online. I know this, this stuff is becoming a lot more mainstream, especially with a podcast episode like this, you know, people are becoming more aware how undiagnosed PCOS is. And, you know, obviously people know menopause happens. What can women do? Because at this point, I'm all about food first, understanding how to feel your body balance. And regardless of any diagnosis or anything going on in your body, that is something I think every woman should prioritize, but nutrition is not enough, right? There are other factors that impact this from everything that you're saying. So what can women do when they're either faced with menopause or they get that diagnosis of PCOS? Well, in terms of lifestyle, there is so much that can be done in terms of um, menopause. I'm a big advocate for bioidentical hormones. And sometimes even for women who have PCOS, I actually do that. There's actually published data. Women with PCOS often have a lot of um, eating disorders, particularly binge eating disorder. Mm, And um, there's actually published data that giving estrogen, the study used an estrogen patch, bioidentical estradiol estrogen patch, that it actually helped to control binge eating. So I do use hormones, but if we you know, look at just lifestyle, there is so much you can do. So the first thing is time-restricted eating. So recognizing that our pancreas and our gut are also timed with what we call clock genes. So every organ in the body is pre-programmed genetically to work best at a certain time of day. And they actually have pictures showing like, this is the time of day when you tend to have your highest blood pressure. This is the time of day when you have the best, you know, blood flow to your brain. Everything is like on a timer is that like, you can look at a clock and it says this time, this time. Well, it turns out we're most insulin sensitive in the morning. And we put out the most adiponectin, which is a hormone from adipose tissue that creates the ability of cells to burn fat in the morning. So if you eat a large percentage of your food in the first half of the day, you will raise your insulin level less, your glucose level will go up less, and that will help you to then burn fat because also your body is more attuned to burning fat as well. 
and you'll be able to lose weight and maintain your weight appropriately. And also, it also helps with the whole endocannabinoid system, this other complex system that are fatty acid um, signaling agents. And they are tremendously important for mood and immune function and appetite regulation. So when you eat more food in the morning, your appetite will be better regulated as well. And if you exercise in the morning, you will also burn fat better. And then as you get later and later in the day, your insulin resistance will rise. So everything you eat is going to have higher blood sugar, and which is really bad because that's gonna cause your pancreas to have to make more insulin, which is going to promote fat storage and fat deposition. And when you have high levels of glucose, you will also create more inflammation. That also triggers more inflammation, which is like the opposite of what you need. It's like the enemy is having literally you don't need more. <laughs> no, we do not want more. And women with PCOS menopause, they have too much inflammation as it is. The other thing is really recognizing that when you have this dysregulation of your hormones, you will also have dysregulation through the adrenal gland and you're going to have more cortisol and you're going to have more stress. So it turns out that both women in with PCOS, women in menopause tend to have more anxiety more depression and more sleep problems. So you, I am a huge advocate for all the different forms of mind body medicine. This can be a really a paragon change for people when, when they do like meditation, guided meditation. In my office, we teach biofeedback with guided meditation. So you can I actually wanted to see, try biofeedback and, and at TSN, we care about how we feel and how we look. And especially for women who are struggling with these issues, are there any specific foods, vitamins, minerals that you would say are really important now at TSN, as m many of you guys know, I'm about balance. I'm about sustainability. But when you are dealing with situations like this, you do need to prioritize certain vitamins and nutrients and certain foods because you have something more medically related going on. You're not just like the average, not average Joe, average Josephina. I had to find a girl name. Um, you're not, you're not like the, not that you're not the healthiest version of yourself, but you're dealing with something very particular. So for someone with PCOS or, you know, undergoing menopause, any foods, nutrients, anything that these ladies should really emphasize. Oh, absolutely. So in terms of foods, I go with whole foods, plant-based diet. In fact, in the beginning, when you have this abnormal gut microbiome, I tend to recommend either none just for a few months, not for very long, yeah. but for a few months, or actually, you know, a small amount, like maybe three ounces of an animal protein, because we now know when you have the wrong microbes, they process animal protein to create toxins. Like one is called TMAO which is really um, a marker for cardiovascular risk, but it's also a direct toxin itself and nitrosoamines, which are actually modified proteins from animals, which can be carcinogens. So we want to limit animal in the beginning while we're getting the, the gut microbiome healthy. And then afterwards we, we can add a little bit more animal, healthy animal back, but we want to really emphasize nurturing the gut microbiome with the colors of the rainbow, all different kinds of plants. And I have a couple of sayings, like one is don't be afraid of fruit because- Oh, I love um, that. Oh, I always say <laughs> eat the freaking banana. Sometimes I drop the F-bomb, but I'm not going to do it in front of you. Um, but literally every Sunday when I do my grocery hauls, I'm like, eat the freaking banana. It is so crazy how we are afraid of eating fruit in our culture. It is beyond me. 
<laughs> so I'm so glad. <laughs> I totally agree. Right. And so, you know, there's nothing that comes from nature that um, is a food. You no, know, I'm not saying, po- to, you know, poison toadstools, you know, but no, you know, that don't eat are, the mushrooms in your yard, guys. That's <laughs> like, right, not what please, we're right. Make sure that you, you know, <laughs> eat the right mushroom, but you know, there's, um, like people are afraid of the wrong things. I always say people stop being afraid of the wrong things, ladies, you know, you're afraid of fruit and you're not afraid of plastic. I mean, you know, just get your priorities straight. So, you know, eat um, like loads and loads of diversity of different types of foods. And I love beans and lentils. And I'll tell you, constipation is an epidemic among women. Women tend to be more constipated than men. It's huge. And when women change their diet to include lots more plants, some raw, some cooked, and lots of legumes, you know, like split pea soup and lentils and all kinds of beans and all kinds of dishes, they change their poops totally. And the, the constipation like disappears. They, they, they can't believe what's coming out. <laughs> you know, Literally it's like, what is coming out of them. And guys, oh we, my we God, go here on this podcast so because excited. it's like, no one talks about it, but like, you need to talk about poop. <laughs> So I know it's like their poops change and they can't believe how much it's coming out. It's like, where was it before? You know, just sitting in me, you know, it's literally. And when you know that you're making a ton of poop and it's all like proper consistency, it's like this gigantic long, you know, like snake thing that comes out of you (laughs) and it's easy to get out. And it's not like you're pushing there for, you know, half an hour. Know that the bulk of what is in poop is actually bacteria. Yeah. Really, really important points. And I just have to follow up and ask you regarding probiotics. And this is so debated in the dietetics field, at least, and I'm sure it is in, in your field as well, which, you know, has so many intersections with this. What are your thoughts on choosing a good probiotic? Because especially in grad school for myself, it was so taught to me how everyone's microbiome is different. And it kind of just made me question even recommending probiotics to so many of my clients because they may not get benefit from it. But I also know things like yogurt when, you know, many women have them and the probiotics and prebiotics and through our diet and you know everything in between, they can be so helpful. So what types of probiotics do you recommend to your patients? And do you think the world of probiotics is going to evolve into something else? Or do you really see a lot of benefit with what's currently on the market? Well, number one, fermented foods is really the best thing. You know, in fact, there was a a recent study out of Stanford that showed that fermented foods were like astronomically beneficial. So like I'm huge on fermented foods. I keep um, like really fresh type sauerkraut and I eat, I happen to really like it. I grew up with sauerkraut. So look at that. I don't, I honestly like guys, I don't know if I've ever had sauerkraut. Like I've recommended it before. And it's like the first thing you see when you think about like probiotics in a textbook, but I've actually never had it. So you're going to make me go to the store today and try it. it. Yeah. Make sure it's not sterilized because then it killed all the bacteria. (laughs) Well, that's a whole um, different can of worms too, with foods being like, oh, it has probiotics in it, but it's on a shelf and it literally is not active at all. Right. (laughs) Right. So you have to know what you're buying, of course. But in terms of probiotics, actually what you said is so relevant. So I recommend people jump it around from brand to brand and different compositions because we like we, we know there are trillions of bacteria and that's the numbers. And then what about different diversities? We know that there's hundreds of different, hundreds or thousands and thousands of different types of bacteria that should be there. And, you know, we don't know what to do. You know, they're, they're still having completely not even closed, you know, actually typed all the different types of microbes. And it's not just bacteria either. Like I mentioned, there's viruses, there's, you know, there's, you know, protozoa, <laughs> there's, there's all kinds of, um, 
of different things. You know, there's even um, fungi that should be, there's actually a whole fungi microbiome of the gut. So, you know, we don't know a lot. We know a little really, but the, we have, oh, I feel at that, least, I feel like I know so little. It is. I mean, the more, you know, the more you realize, you know, like the universe is like, wow, this is big. <laughs> and, and, um, but we do know from studies in women that women who take probiotics, you know, so you're taking like bifidobacterium, lactobacillus, and in pregnancy, they actually have published data to show they have their risk of complications. So that's something that you can do short term, like pregnancy is only a few months. And if you have the incidence of, of complications, that says a lot to me, because I consider pregnancy the ultimate stress test for women. And when you have complications, you essentially failed your stress test. And you're, you know, at high risk for metabolic disorders as you age, you know, going towards menopause. So if the fact that it can really dramatically reduce complications in pregnancy made me really feel that this is something I should include um, pretty frequently, especially yeah. for people that aren't eating a lot of fermented foods. So I say mix it up. Don't get stuck on one brand or one type. Take different types, different amounts. And, and just mix it up because we don't know if we're forcing one type more than another type, you know, and make sure you eat diversity of foods where they find that the more diverse foods you eat, the more diverse microbiome you have. And it's almost like the dance of the polyphenols. So we know there are all these different, I call it the magic sauce of food, the polyphenols and the different polyphenols actually help to nurture different microbial populations. So when you eat different foods with different types of polyphenols, you nurture more gut diversity, and then you throw in the probiotics and, you know, maybe you don't take them all the time. Like I said, I don't like to use like berberine indefinitely because we don't know what its long-term effects may be on the gut microbiome. Mm -hmm. So I say, you know, like take it for three months and maybe do pausing and switch to a different brand, you know, just really, you know, spice it up, use different things. Literally spice it up. <laughs> oh, and spices are great. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. So we do a whole show on spices. I'm sure you have, <laughs> but you know. Definitely spices are fantastic and definitely um, include them, but don't get fixed and take the same brand over and over and over, you know, try different brands um, and different cultures and different amounts and, you know, take a break from time to time and so forth. Cause we are definitely just just learning what to do about this whole thing. Absolutely. And you're making me think about the fact that your advice about diversifying your entire diet and getting, especially all the different fibers and vitamins and minerals through your food that actually will enhance ladies, what the probiotics are because prebiotics are found in so many of these healthy foods and the probiotics, you can't really even use the probiotics to their full potential without the prebiotics, what they're feeding on. So absolutely that diversity, I think goes full circle into all the advice that you're giving. Absolutely. That's the the beauty and the and the challenge is the complexity of, of every, every aspect of the human body. But instead of being like, oh my gosh, I'm going to throw my hands up. This is more than I can handle. You, you know, you take it in whatever bite-sized bites that you can handle and you see the beauty of it and you see the synergy of it and the, you know, the, just the wholeness of it and how it all works together to create this beautiful, healthy, functioning female. Amazing. I mean, could we end on a more perfect note? That's epic. Um, can you tell us one about your new book coming out and two, the two other books that you have as well with tons of information for everyone here? Well, I have my first book, which was um, an Amazon number one bestseller. Woo, woo. P- yes, girl. Yes. Lab. <laughs> PCOS SOS. And it's just um, filled with references and it's a seven step program 
that you can implement. And it tells you how with PCOS, you can really overcome it and become a healthy woman. But it's a lot of basic lifestyle advice. So any woman who's trying to lose weight or has metabolic issues will really benefit from it because I'm not going into any of the pharmaceuticals at all. It's all lifestyle medicine. So it's like a self-help book. And the other one, the offshoot is PCOS SOS Fertility Fast Track, which is a detailed 12 week, week by week detailed program for how women who really want to get pregnant and soon can optimize their health and their fertility in just 12 weeks. And my newest book, which is just coming out is Menopause 50 Things You Need to Know. And it's like a little encyclopedia. It's little, but it's like a little encyclopedia of all the different things, 50 things that women will face throughout their menopausal journey from the premenopausal years, like the transitional years that precede the actual cessation of the period, the first decade of menopause, and then the years that follow, which can be many. And so it tells all the things that you didn't even know, but it's, it would be all doom and gloom if we didn't also offer lots of helpful suggestions. So it's, you remember the whole thing is first you define the problem, then you get the solutions. And that's what I'm all about, you know, figuring out what is going on and then doing something about it. And that's what my new book is all about. I love it guys. If you're going through menopause or you're like hot, damn, I'm having hot flashes and I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, this is your, your new book to come out and I'm so excited for it. Thank you so much for being on the show. I could just sit down here and talk to you about all this stuff all day. I like want to learn more from you. Um, we will definitely have to have you back on for like a spice episode and (laughs) maybe talk about some other stuff, but thank you so much for your time. Oh, anytime. My pleasure. 